You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're joined by Yona Weiss. He's joining us from Israel. Yona, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sterling. Excited to be here on Rent Roll Radio with you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your history and how you ended up on a real estate investing podcast? Well, it all started back in elementary school when I wanted to become a cost irrigation expert. And, uh, you know, no one thought it could be done. I, but I, pro- do I proved everyone wrong. Elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> I proved everyone wrong. No, I actually was a teacher for many years. I spent, uh, besides for a little stint in stand-up comedy, I was a teacher for probably about 15 years. And at a certain point, I needed something else. I needed to do something else. The, the income just wasn't enough. And I had a friend that was involved in real estate. He owned some rentals and he had, you know, property management doing on the side, did some mortgages. And I literally just was like, Hey, what can we do? Can you like show me the ropes? And he literally taught me everything he knew about commercial real estate, which was, which is pretty cool. A good friend sat with him for about nine months in his office day, every day, or like four days a week, probably. And uh, we had a great time. I learned a tremendous amount, started investing, started brokering, started doing my own thing. And uh, at a certain point, I, I ran into this company called Madison, what I'm working at right now, which is a cost irrigation company. And I was like, hmm, this is really interesting. No one really knew what that was. And I really just took my teaching skills that I had and combined that with the business development of this company, which is really just teaching people about cost irrigation because what I learned really quickly is it's pretty much a no brainer. You just have to know what it is first. And that's the biggest challenge. So since then I've been in about 300 podcasts. Um, so happy to be joining you as well. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more before we dive into the cost segregation, which I do want to dive into what kind of real estate investing did you do start now? So starting out, didn't have any experience. Right. So, uh, the only thing I just did whatever my friend, he was like, Hey, we should do this. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we did a few fix and flips at first. And I realized pretty quickly, although not quick enough that that wasn't for me. Uh, it wasn't something I was really cut out for a much more, you know, personable. I love teaching. I love doing that kind of thing. And so I transitioned, you know, and kind of took a break from investing for a while, building up some more capital and then, you know, invested passively in a bunch of deals, multifamily, some self-storage, RV parks, mobile home parks. And then most recently, um, you know, just trying to raise capital for some for deals as well, partnering with some other people. So again, mostly in the larger uh, multifamily space, although short-term rentals is a space that I'm really, really eyeing cl- closely. So um, we're going to go off on a lot of tangents. Okay. I do want to get back to the cost seg at some point. I'm curious, uh, how do you, you mentioned the short-term rental market. How do you feel about the short-term rental market in our current economic environment, in our choppy waters? Do you think um, it's going to continue to to behave the way it has, or do you think we're going to see some some pain in that sector? I think it's going to continue and and even grow. I mean, it has been growing year after year for you know, basically since it was, uh, became popular, which is, you know, over a decade already. And last year alone grew even more. Uh, yes, there have been, you know, if you look at certain statistics and things like that, maybe a little bit lower, uh, in terms of investors, lower nightly rates, and maybe a bit of lower occupancy than usual. But I think that has more to do with, uh, more people buying short-term rentals and getting into it than the popularity of it from the consumer standpoint. I think from the consumer standpoint, it is 
as popular, if not more popular than ever. Uh, people are looking for experiences instead of just staying in a hotel. And, and that's what Airbnbs and short-term rentals offer. So that's a great point. Um, the popularity has not gone down at all, which I completely agree with. Uh, but there's just too many investors, right? Too many, everybody's turning, turning their properties into Airbnb. So what do, what do we, or say, how do we control the supply? Mm -hmm. Like what controls the supply, right? Like, is there, is there anything to stop? Cause at some point, at some point we're going to have so much supply that overnight rates are going to be, you know, dirt cheap and then nobody's yeah. making money. You know, with every real estate market, right. That's always the question, right? How do you, how do you make money? And I think, what may end up happening again, this is total speculation, but what may have been happening is that, you know, the, the seasoned investors will get better and the kind of newbies or, or people that are just kind of dabbling in it will trickle off and, mm -hmm. you know, the better will get better. And, you know, those who aren't doing as well, won't, won't do as well. And I think that's, that's true with any, any asset class, with any market, um, or just trying to find new markets or find, new ways and new experiences. Uh, I know certain people I just had on my podcast last week, someone who talked about they were buying uh, boutique hotels and, you know, turning them into Airbnbs because the certain locale, the municipality where they, where this hotel was located banned or put very severe restrictions on the short-term rentals. However, a property that's already zoned for, you know, hospitality can thrive in that environment. And so it's really a matter of just finding, you know, what works and, and where it's going to work. So you have to be creative. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective on like the, the survival of the, the top folks. So I remember growing up, my dad always told me like, it didn't really matter what you become. There's room for the best in like every industry, right? Like just as long as you're, you're like at the top, like it doesn't matter. You're there's all mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's always going to be room for you. And, you know, we, I come from corporate America and we see that as well, where we, they have surpluses every year and people are like, well, what are you going to do? They're going to surplus you. Well, we just make sure you're never in the bottom. Cause, cause to your point at the end of a surplus, there's really more to eat for all the guys on the top because they kind of, you know, they, they wiped out the folks that, that weren't, you know, that were just kind of lackadaisical about their approach. So yep. that's, that's an awesome insight. And I love that, that topic. So um, tell me more about cost seg and about what you do on your day-to-day -day with your cost seg. Cost seg is, like I mentioned before, it's just something that if you don't know what it is, that's really what's holding you back more than anything else. So cost seg is what the cool kids call cost segregation, which is a weird name that the IRS gave to this uh, tax deduction. And it's really depreciation. That's all it is. So depreciation is a deduction that you get when you buy a commercial or residential property, rental or business property. You're able to take a deduction, essentially deduct the entire value of your property that you bought, uh, except you can't do it all at once. And so this tr the, the strategy with cost segregation is a way to pull out those pool of potential deductions that would take you 29, 39 or 27 and a half years to get and pull a bunch of them up to the front loaded and take those deductions now and this year, which increases cash flow. So that's what it is. I mean, my day to day is really just centered around educating people and networking and trying to spread their light. I mean, I have a huge company that works for us, uh, Madison Specs, we're the largest national company that does that. So I, I wouldn't be able to do what I do if they didn't do what they did. Sure. Awesome. So I'm, I'd, I'd, I'm curious. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners probably know what cost segregation is and they, and they probably use it. And we probably like love the bonus depreciation. And, and that's been like a huge sales part of 
like when we're pitching investors, you know, for our syndication projects, it's like, well, you can take a hundred percent bonus depreciation year one. Um, th- that's going to end soon, right? It is. It is going to end soon. I mean, the bonus depreciation was something that was introduced in 2018, really 2017. Um, it started in 2018 and was probably the biggest uh, benefit to real estate investing ever. I mean, in, in my experience, maybe not, I don't know. I don't know enough of the history of all of real estate investing of all time, but it certainly added a tremendous amount to the economy, but that 100% is going to be limited, uh, going down, phasing out by 20% each year, down, down to 80% next year, and then take it down 60%, et cetera. So you, this year, 2022 is the last year that you're going to be able to take advantage of it. So what does that mean for the cost segregation business going forward? I mean, this is, I mean, are you are you still going to have a business model when the major benefit is being trickled away? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, we've uh, you know our company's been in business seventeen years, and consolidation has been around for decades. So it was great as it was even before the bonus depreciation came around, and I think it's still going to be extremely beneficial, uh, regardless of whether you can take one hundred percent upfront or not. So, so fast forward let's say five years, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're completely phased out. Yeah. What does, what talk to me now about what the benefit of, of cost segregation is. So what the benefit has always been is to just place different components of your property on faster depreciation schedules to get bigger deductions in the earlier years. So it's going to be less exaggerated in the first year. Uh, but if you were able to take 20% of your total property value and take those deductions over a five-year period, because that's what we're we're talking about, five-year assets, certain things like non-structural components will depreciate on a five-year schedule. So that's what we're doing with this study. The conservation study is identifying what those components are. So if you look around your property, anything like appliances, anything that's not structural, you know, if it's light fixtures or window treatments or appliances, furniture, fixtures, equipment, anything like that, and even more, that's all going to depreciate on a five-year schedule. So if we can take 20% of our deductions, instead of getting that huge amount in the first year, you're still going to get that over the first five years. So you're still going to have double or triple the amount of your normal depreciation over the first five years. So it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those scenarios, almost like the interest rates and everything else going on. We've just been incredibly spoiled the last couple of years. Yeah. We're just kind of getting back to normal and the, and, and, to your point, that those are absolutely huge benefits to be able to depreciate something over five years versus 27 and a half years and, and take that hit on the early end, on the front end. Exactly. What, uh, what um, type of projects do you typically, do y'all typically do cost segregation studies for? I mean, we do everything like, so, I mean, being the biggest national company we do last year, we did over 5,000 properties, uh, every type. I mean, from single families, whether long-term, short-term rentals to multifamily, to self-storage, mobile home parks, office, industrial, retail, you know, shopping malls, you name it, uh, distribution centers and everything in between. Awesome. So you and I at the conference, uh, talked about the single family cost segregation. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, the main benefit, like we we talked about, is being able to take those deductions at a faster rate, right? But it's totally based on your purchase price, on the property value, right? However much you paid for it. And the higher that purchase price is, the more benefit, right, proportionate you're going to get, right? If it's a million dollar property and you can take 20% up front, so that's, you know, maybe $200,000. You have to subtract a small amount for land, 
So, you know, put that aside, but maybe $180,000, that's great. However, when you get into smaller properties, it makes less sense because there is a cost associated with doing a full conservation study. It's going to cost a few thousand dollars minimally. So if you're talking about a hundred thousand dollar property, it's really not going to make so much sense to, instead of talking about, you know, 180,000, you're talking about $18,000. Is it worth paying a few thousand? Some people would say, yes, absolutely. If I can pay $3,000 to get a $20,000 deduction, I'm signing up for it today. Um, other people would say, mm, it's probably not worth the squeeze. Got it. And and, and I'm assuming you guys don't do this. So we're probably talking about your competitors, but there's some, we'd, I'd also heard some other folks that take a, a, a like a slightly different approach um, around modeling or some software modeling where they can do a more affordable, um, a more affordable cost seg study on those smaller properties that seems to make more financial sense. But you had mentioned you weren't a hundred percent sure on how that would, would hold up in an audit. That's correct. Yeah. I definitely have seen that. And I know, you know, some accountants that I respect that uh, support those type of properties for smaller, uh, excuse me, those type of projects for smaller properties. Uh, It's just typically from what we've seen from an audit defense standpoint, there are very, very strict rules. And so we've yet to see since a lot of these products are new, uh, you know, just developed these softwares or desktop type uh, softwares. We We don't really know. Yeah. That that's to my knowledge, audits usually don't happen on a year to year basis. You know, you're going to, someone's going to get audited this year for their 2017 taxes, right. Or 2018 taxes. Yeah. They're not going to come to you today to what did you do this? T-? So we've yet to see since a lot of these products are, are relatively new. Um, what I have seen is that these services, you know, you pay a few hundred bucks for the software. And if you pay, you know, an extra thousand bucks or whatever for insurance, essentially they'll do a full engineering study if you ever get audited. So to me, that's kind of like, will that work? I don't know. It seems like very risky in my mind. So that's what we've kind of steer away from it from our company. Um, but like I said, I do know accountants that I respect that say that recommend their clients to get it done. So you gotta, you always gotta rely on your CPA, your tax advisor. And in the end of the day, they're going to be willing to sign off your tax return. That's what counts. Awesome. Uh, what other, what other advice do you have around cost segregation studies? I would say, you know, make sure that you at least look into it. A lot of people think "Mm, it's probably not worth it. It's going to cost me, you know, who knows how much to get this done and what's really the benefit going to be. And people will come up with all kinds of lines like, well, I'm just going to pay it back when I sell, right? Not so, not exactly so. There's a lot of misnomers when it comes to cost segregation. Uh, Can you get it done on a property you've owned for a number of years? Yes. There are a lot of things we got to, we got to cover. Can you elaborate on that? Um, Which part? On the recapture that you Absolutely. have to pay it back. So how does that work? Absolutely. So when you sell a property, you have a capital gain tax, which everyone knows. If you made a profit, then you pay, you're going to be subject to a tax on the amount of profit you made. There's also something called depreciation recapture tax, which also is a capital gain. It's called unrealized gain. And that gain, essentially that tax is however much depreciation you took during the life of ownership, you're not going to be taxed on that amount on the sale as a gain. Now, it's not, that's not the same at all as if you took $100,000 depreciation, you now have to pay back $100,000 when you sell. That's not at all. You're going to be subject to maybe a 25% tax on that $100,000 of depreciation that you took. Okay. 
and not paying it, yes, there are a few strategies like doing a 1031 exchange, which can defer your capital gain tax, defer that recapture tax. There's also uh, something that really a lot of people don't think about. The real estate game, and I call it a game because it really is just playing by the rules and understanding how the rules, especially with taxes, how that works. Passive losses, which is depreciation, if you take these deductions, they're considered passive losses. If you have enough of them, then you can not only offset your income and have zero income tax liability, you can also offset capital gains from that as well. You don't need to do a 1031 exchange. You can actually use those deductions to offset those, those gains. So something that a lot of people don't know is that, well, what happens if I can do a 1031 exchange or I don't want to do a 1031 exchange for various reasons, and I'm going to be subject to this huge capital gain tax bill? Well, guess what? You are now going to be, uh, if you do a cost segregation in the same year, and you may have a huge amount of losses, you can now take that and offset your, your gain that you would have paid a capital gain tax on. Nice. Awesome. So, you know, what's next for you? What's next for me? It's a really good question. I've been struggling with this all week long, to be honest. Uh, I was offered with it all decade. All decade. No, I mean, <laughs> I go up and down. I wait for opportunities to come to me. That's kind of just kind of how I, how I operate. If I'm doing something and I love it, I'm enjoying it. I just double down and keep doing it, right? Keep doing more of it, better of it. So, but, you know, I've invested and I have deals come across my, my you know, inbox every yeah. single day. But, uh, but I was offered uh, to co-GP on, a, on a, a deal, a very big deal, like a $35 billion, you know, apartment complex in Texas by some very, you know, solid operators. And um, I was very flattered by that. I was like, hmm, maybe this is the time. Should I just jump in and become a capital raiser, become an asset manager, like do that. And part of me is like, yeah, just jump in, just do it. And another part of me is like, mm, if you go do that, you're going to be taking away from what you're already doing, what you're already building now, what you've built. So that's my struggle. You asked me, what am I struggling with? What's the next step for me? I think at a certain point, that's going to kind of become a is something I'm going to do more. I do want to get a, an Airbnb, a short-term rental in the next couple of months before the end of the year. So Where working on building, uh, working on building some businesses, uh, some, you know, some kind of structure that I'm looking specifically in a couple of markets in uh, the Blue Ridge mountains of Georgia. So Northern Georgia, some, some really beautiful parts over there. And it's kind of picked up in popularity in terms of short-term rentals and, um, and the Carolina beach. In North Carolina, it's also a beautiful, beautiful place, and yeah. properties are not that expensive there. I mean, relatively speaking. Awesome. I um, I have a, a friend of mine that that does a lot of short term rentals in Carolina Beach, and he absolutely uh, he absolutely loves it. He's he's always um, he's always promoting the area. So. Um, if you need any connections over there, even though I'm pretty sure, you know, everybody, <laughs> I, know. I probably know him already. <laughs> <laughs> um, so real quick, I want to hop over to our radio round just to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So we just have three quick questions. So the first one is what's your favorite book? My favorite book is it's a book called the way of God. Okay. And this is a Jewish book, a Jewish philosophy it was written about 300 years ago and it's a Hebrew book, but it's, it's just incredible. I mean, insightful changed my life and I read it all the time. Awesome. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote is also another taken from uh, if you can't tell I'm Jewish and a lot of what I have, the wisdom I have is from the Bible and from the Jewish texts. And one thing that, um, Favorite quote is, well, you know what? I'm actually going to turn this a different direction. 
I'm going to take a Zig Ziglar quote because, because okay. I love, I love what he has yeah. to say. And he said, if you help, um, what's the quote, you can get everything you, you can want get every- by helping enough other people get what they want. There it is. Thank you. It took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly it. So I live by that. And, um, yeah, so we're going to use that. Awesome. Love it. What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Well, I have six kids, so I don't have much to do outside of work except hanging out with them and and playing with them. So I would say that's, uh, that's what I enjoy. Just having fun playing with my kids. How many boys, how many girls? Four boys, two girls. Okay. That sounds like a, sounds like a wild house. It is (laughs) at times. (laughs) Awesome. So how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about you? Best way to find me is actually on LinkedIn. I'm very, very active on that platform. Or you can go to yonawice.com. I'm all over all the other social platforms, but again, most active on LinkedIn. Awesome, Yana. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. I look forward to uh, seeing you at a, at, a, at a conference in the future. Maybe we'll bump into each other in Orlando and, um, and look forward to keeping up with you and your journey. Absolutely. Thank you, Sterling. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.